Love the nouns, love the pronouns, impersonal and personal. Love the words from ELFM. So, good evening and welcome to Love the Words here on East Leeds FM. And tonight, well not really tonight, because it's daytime and I'm at Heart Cafe in Headingley talking to the educator and artist teacher Eleanor Snare. Hello Eleanor. Hello, lovely to be on the programme. I, I like to think it's evening, that makes it a bit more atmospheric rather than a grey and cloudy morning. Absolutely. So if it was evening, we'd probably need a few more yeah. clothes on, because <laughs> yeah. we're right out, we're, we're in, 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 the, in the depths of Headingley. Um, so, I mean, I, I love on your website that you've got a big banner there saying, art is not a mirror held up to reality, but a hammer with which to shape it, which is a quote from Brecht. Mm -hmm. I really like that. Is that something, obviously that's important to you, otherwise you wouldn't have it there on the mm. front of your website. It's an interesting uh, quote, actually, because when I was younger, one of the things that I really struggled with was enjoying art and wanting to pursue a creative practice and a creative passion. Like a lot of people, I went to a school where um, that wasn't really prioritised and they wanted to take me to take a much more academic path. And that was kind of compounded by my dad, who didn't really understand art and actually said to me, I don't get the point of art, which is difficult to hear. But that quote was on a t-shirt that my dad bought me when I was about 15. And he just came back from a work trip, I think he'd been abroad somewhere, and he said, oh, I've got this t-shirt for you. And I opened it, and it was this big red t-shirt with a picture of a hammer on it and that quote. And I never really thought about it, I guess, until at being an adult. And my dad could see that even though he didn't understand what I wanted to do, it was a tool for me to shape the world. And putting it on my website is a way for me, I suppose, to hark back to that. And almost to myself, my teenage self, and say, look, this is the right path. But also for people who, who are creative, who maybe feel a bit shy or nervous or unsupported about being creative, that their artistic power is something that is going to create revolutions and change the way we live. So I wanted to put it right there on the front to say, to almost like put my flag in the sand and say, this is what I'm about. So I'm glad you noticed it. Absolutely. And it's great that your dad um, could change his mind from not mm. understanding it to understanding it very clearly. Really. Yes. And almost, I think, communicating it through a different method that may be not through words mm. and now as an adult he is he and my mother are obviously really supportive of what I do even if sometimes they don't really uh, get it fully mm. but I think um, that quote just really stayed with me and almost reminded me of often people are supporting you without you realizing absolutely well you talked uh, yeah about what you do let's hear what what you do so in normal times I mean obviously these aren't normal times mm. but um, what would be the kind of range of work you might be doing within say a week a month okay yeah just to get a sense of, of what you do yeah so I would say it's quite varied and probably one of the challenges that I've had over the years is actually defining what it is so over the course of a week some of the things that I might have done in normal times would be I would have some copywriting or some communication work to do for a client. I might have a coaching session with an individual, so someone who is an artist or a practitioner, speaking to them and supporting them to feel more confident in what they're doing. I would also then have my own creative practice, which is quite broad, really. I would say sometimes I'm a jack of all trades because I love the connections between different art forms. So I'm particularly interested in performance poetry, collage, painting, um, I make my own clothes as well, so that would be part of it. And then I would also be teaching um, in a more, I suppose, career capacity. So I used to teach at Leeds University and now I teach at Leeds Arts University. And my specialism in teaching is branding and communication in the fashion industry. So my weeks and months tend to be quite varied. 
What I would say is that when lockdown happened, it coincided with the five year anniversary of my business and I'm being self-employed. And it gave me a really good opportunity to actually reassess what I wanted to do and what I genuinely enjoyed. Anyone who works for themselves will know you sometimes get into these habits where you wake up six months or a year later and realize that you're not doing the thing that you set out to do because other options are more comfortable or they pay more. So lockdown was a really good opportunity for me to reassess and I found that I wasn't doing enough of the, I wasn't bringing art and creativity into enough of what I was doing. So my background in marketing means that I've got a lot of experience in strategic communications and I was just ending up doing that and it was very analytical and methodical and enjoyable in some ways but actually it wasn't the creative sort of life that I signed up for when I start my business. So what I do now in a week has changed quite dramatically, um, really because I wanted it to. But those were some of the sorts of things that I used to do, but it was, I would say it was very varied. I'm sure any creative people listening to this will be like, yeah, I get that. <laughs> you know, every Monday's different. Um, Absolutely, and yeah, that that interesting thing. If you, so, if you're this is a question. If you are in a group of people mm. who are not kind of arts people, perhaps mm. who are not of that world, and somebody says, "So, what do you do, Eleanor? What do you say?" I normally say I'm an artist and an educator, and I also don't worry too much about that anymore. People love you to have a job title because then it helps them understand you more. But really. Our job is a tiny part. Our job title is a tiny part of what we do. And there is so much more to us than a job title. And actually I found it to be quite interesting to say, I'm an artist and an educator. And they say also what are some of the th arts, art you make or things you educate about. And it just opens up the conversation a, a bit more. Because I have to say, whenever I ask people, oh, you know, what's your job? They tell me the title. The question I normally ask is like, what's that then? Because I don't know what like a chartered surveyor is or I met a meteorologist once who worked for the insurance company at Lloyds Bank and it was fascinating finding out about his job but I don't think it encompasses job title like fully that's what I mean um, so I normally just say an artist and educator mm. and then don't worry about it too much and so when <laughs> at the beginning of this journey and it sounds like a fascinating mm. variety of work that you do mm. um, all of which, all those separate parts I could ask you. Yeah. <laughs> Genuinely curious questions about. But in terms of when you started, did you have an idea that you wanted to be an artist or was it more the education side? Did you have an idea at all about what you wanted to do? When you, when you say started... I should say, I should, I should be much more precise. <laughs> <laughs> so I feel like I'm starting every day. <laughs> yeah, I totally agree. And that's a lovely way of thinking of it. But in terms of yeah, when you were, I don't know, when you left college or university mm. or when you were still at school, or, or did you have a sense? No, I think, um, if I'm honest, I spent most of my, like, I love education. Mm. I think it is, it's just one of my favourite things to do. So I love learning. I'm kind of a voracious learner. And every step through my education from GCSE really was just a case of me going, what do I want to learn next? And then rushing off to do it. So through my art foundation and my degree and then coming, the reason I moved to Leeds was to do my MA in history of art at the Leeds Uni. And I just wanted to learn about these interesting things. And I always felt very torn between the more academic side and the more art side. But when I was really young, I remember, you know, being asked what do you want to be when you grow up and I would always say an artist or a teacher and it was just really simple and I think you forget that simplicity of what you want when you're a child and then as you get older, you, in, if you can, you come back to it. So when I started, I guess from the beginnings of my education, I just knew that I wanted those two things in my life but I didn't really know how to build them in. So for example, I did design and applied arts and a specialism in ceramics at university at undergraduate. I wasn't very good at it, but I really enjoyed it. And so when I was doing my MA, I tried to have a 
a studio where I was making pottery and it just wasn't it just didn't work it wasn't achievable but similarly I would go into my regular marketing job when I graduated and I would want to add more art and I would want to add I would want to be teaching people and I'd end up training people um, more junior people so wherever I went whatever I did the art and the teaching just sort of found me um, and it's only really been probably in the last two years that I've really consciously said these are the this is the path for me so even though I've been teaching in various forms as a guest lecturer visiting part-time about eight years it's only really been in the last two that I've gone yeah this this is it this is the path that I want to take and really consciously applied myself rather than getting distracted by what looks on paper like a better job or a more secure job or a, a job title that people understand rather than get distracted by that I've just really focused on yeah I'm just I'm gonna do art and I'm gonna educate and however I deliver that it doesn't matter I just need to do those things so yes Eleanor you talked about a client and your clients and I'm presuming clients might be people like me self-employed artists who like me might find it hard in the course of a of of, of their work life to find time and perhaps be, have the sort of confidence to put money in an investment into talking to you but what might you do what might you provide and offer like a self-employed artist like me I think your your point there about people struggling to put the time or the the money or the having the confidence to invest in themselves is very common and it's something I think a lot of creative people struggle with we're kind of taught that creativity is not valuable as in terms of financially valuable and so we then reflect that back on ourselves even though creativity has and kind of creative thinking has been identified by major think tanks and people like Nielsen and McKinsey as the skill for the next 20 to 50 years so the things that I provide are when people make the choice to work with me in a coaching or a mentoring capacity I am helping them unblock themselves from all of those barriers that get in the way of things like promoting their work or going for opportunities or charging more or charging at all so some of the things I've worked with people before are ensuring that they have a range of services so say they do workshops ensuring they have a range of services that are actually right for them again people can get caught up in the trap of oh well you know I'm only going to be paid for this particular type of thing so actually almost like taking ownership of what you provide in the world I've helped people with increasing their rates not to astronomical levels but to you know <laughs> livable levels um, but a lot of the work that I do is really around I would say it boils down to confidence and the vast majority of creative people cannot see their own skill and their own ability to inspire and affect change in others and to really make a difference they're kind of they see all the it's like you know you do a painting or something you just see all the mistakes you don't see the smiles on people's faces when they look at it so it's really about developing that confidence and part of that can be about bringing in the marketing expertise that I have from from that background but a lot of the time it's really that helping people uncover those blocks that are really getting in the way of them making essentially making art um, and feeling confident in the art that they are making whatever form it might be that's fascinating so let's go on to root and branch because that's a new initiative for you and I saw this in North Leeds life that worthy uh, magazine and I thought that sounds really interesting partly because of what it is in terms of um, you know the, the, the interesting form of it being a kind of audio course mm -hmm. over, to, over 12 weeks and uh, but also the fact that it sort of centers around trees because I mean I've, I've, I've done some projects around trees and very interested in in woods and forests so I so I'd love to know more and I'm sure people would love to know more about Root and Branch tell us what it is so it is Root and Branch is a 12-week audio art course that gets you out into nature making art and developing yourself learning the skills of self-leadership 
And the way that you do that is there are a series of downloadable audio lessons, one every week, that you download to your mobile device, you plug in, you go out for a walk, and you listen to this audio lesson while in the presence of the ed- really the educators of the course, which are trees. And accompanying each lesson is a set of art making prompts. So it doesn't matter what your practice is, it's about getting you to create based on some of the on, on the educational material in the lessons. So there's art making prompts and there's a set of reflective writing prompts as well. Plus each week has a library of curated extracurricular resources. So these are existing resources from great videos, TED Talks, podcasts to listen to, playlists, all sorts of, it's really diverse. And there's about, I think just over 60 different resources, each one tied to a different theme. And over the course of the 12 weeks, as a learner, you travel from the roots of the tree right up to the very, very top. And the idea is that every element of a tree has something to teach us about becoming more confident, developing ourselves and really being the like leaders that we want to be of our own lives and the methodology is through art and writing. Oh, sounds absolutely fascinating. Mm. Um, and so are you, people can sign up, do they have to sign up now or can they leave it till later on? Is it something that starts and finishes at a certain point? It's an evergreen course so as soon as you sign up about 24 hours later you'll get the first lesson. So you do it as an individual essentially because I really think it's a very personal journey. There's various points throughout the year that are included in the course. So there's a live lesson which you, as a student of Root and Branch, you get access to that for free. So the next one of those is happening at the end of October, 31st of October. Is that in a space together or online? No, that's going to be online at the moment because I think the current students and potential students might be quite dispersed and the idea is actually that you can do it from the comfort of your own home but almost join together so there are moments throughout the year like that but this is a very personal journey so it's an evergreen course that you can take at any time Um, and it's really about you know I wanted to mention there about the audio aspect of it and if you're interested in self-development at all you will have seen there's so many online courses at the moment and pretty much all of them in like involve you sitting in front of a screen and watching loads of videos and I just don't think that's that healthy and when I was developing Root and Branch I realized that I wanted a, a method that could be delivered digitally but didn't require you to sit in front of a screen because actually nature is an amazing teacher and we need to be out in nature to really get the full educational experience which is why I came up with the audio lessons. So that's me talking away um, in each one of those. And as I said, they're downloadable, so you can keep them and reuse them. Sounds great. And is this something new for you, this kind of approach? Yes, completely new. I've always really um, shied away from doing anything online. So I've done things like workshops in the past at various arts organisations, done lots of public speaking with big groups of people, I've done events with my sister, getting people together, like creative community events. And even though, as I said, I've been teaching for quite a while, I've always really shied away from any sort of online education because I just don't really like spending that much time online. And I don't want to encourage it in people. I want to encourage getting together and getting outside. Then with lockdown, it became apparent that that wasn't going to be available for a while. But I didn't want to just fall back into the kind of thing that everyone else was doing. I wanted to still, you know, just because the technology is there doesn't mean you just should use it indiscriminately. Teaching is as, or education is as much about the medium as it is about the message. So choosing a sensible medium and a, an impactful medium um, was really important to me. But it's a, it is a very new way of working. However, I really feel um, each aspect of it has been something that I've done before. So I'm always using reflective writing with my clients. Obviously I work in a creative university, so art making is something that we do, whatever that art looks like. But it's the first time I've brought them all together, I would say. Great, are you looking forward to it? 
Yeah, I, lo- I think it's awesome. I think, well, obviously I would say that. It'd be terrible if I didn't. The feedback I'm getting from students already enrolled who are, I think, maybe about a third or, or halfway through, they are, it's really resonating with them on quite a deep level. And although some of them are not artists, they've literally never picked up a pen or a paintbrush before to make art, they're finding it really intriguing and it's actually encouraging them to then go away and spend more time developing their artistic practice, which is the entire point. So I've really loved people's responses to it and I'm just looking forward to the live lesson and getting more people on board with that, with it there and, and kind of sharing it in a live capacity. And can people still join? Yes, it's, so, it's every, so it's all the time. So basically whenever, although I launched it at the end of August, you can just start whenever you want and in terms of the live lesson that's going to be on my website soon so people can sign up for that um also one of the lessons in particular has really struck a chord with a lot of people so what i've decided to do is offer that as a single downloadable lesson so the the full cost of the course is 99 pounds which for some people right now their finances they've got other priorities for their finances that's totally fine However, there's this other option to buy just a single audio lesson, which is going to be just £12. So it's really well priced. And basically, you get the audio lesson, the prompts, the extracurricular resources. If you just want to, I guess, experiment with investing in yourself, you know, if you just want to experiment with a bit of personal education, this is a, a great way to do it. Absolutely. So how do people get in contact with you? You can visit my website, which is www.elenasnare.com. Or if you Google Eleanor Snare, that's me. There's only one result. So that's good. I'm also on Instagram at Eleanor Snare. And I'm on LinkedIn. Again, if you search for Eleanor Snare, I'm just, that's the only one. So I'm sure there's others in the world, but they're not on the internet, apparently. But that, um, and then on my website, there's a, um, a link right at the top for Root and Branch. So you'll be able to find it. Great. Well, finally, Eleanor, I just wanted to ask you about, I mean, what, what I really like on your website is, you say you, you bridge arts and business. And I think, you know, it's, it's interesting, I think, within the arts, a lot of artists do find the idea of business and being entrepreneurial quite hard as a concept. There seems to be a sense, as you were saying a bit earlier, or before we started the interview, a bit, bit kind of a sense of like selling out or something. And we a lot of us struggle with selling our work and being who we are and putting that out there. So um, I'm really interested in that. I mean, how had for you it's obviously a really a central part of what you do yes and something that I think I've pretended that I don't do for a long time because of the fears of oh well if I understand about business or marketing or entrepreneurialism then somehow I'm selling out and equally if I'm creative or want to work in an artistic or intuitive way then that's not really proper and I need to base my ideas and evidence and what I found is that you know, you always, I think if you've, you're someone with multiple interests or passions, you can often feel like they're tearing you apart. And the big change for me was I decided that no, I'm holding them together. So instead of feeling torn apart, I'm actually the thing that's gonna be drawing these two things into place and connecting them. And with art and business, I, you know, my, I think my website articulates it very well, but also, I realize, you know, as time goes on, as I said, I feel like I'm starting afresh every day. I realize that my goal is very much bigger than that. And I see it as the world of business has given us some really fascinating techniques, understanding human behavior, understanding long-term strategy and communication, providing, well, recognizing the importance of economic and financial value, but then it stops and if we just exist in this world of being an entrepreneur, running a business, making money, something inside us isn't fulfilled. And that is the part that's what art fulfills. That's what art fulfills. That's the intuition, the ideas, the, the amazing magic of just bringing something to life that didn't exist before. So the key is to not stay in one world or the other, but actually to bring them together, to take the best of both and I, for me, shed the things that don't work. Just because you're a business person or you have a good understanding of marketing or you sell your work, doesn't mean that you're some terrible mega capitalist. There's actually lots and lots of incredible people running art-based or creative-based businesses 
in very anti-capitalist ways that are kind of quite revolutionary. And similarly, there are businesses bringing artists and the art-making process, the creative process, into their work, and it's fundamentally changing how their business operates. So I think people get um, icky about it, but it's because we've been told that they're two different parts of our brain and in fact that you can only be creative or you can be logical or you can be good with money or terrible with money. And it's this very black and white version of the world, whereas really, I would say it's great. It's not great, it's a big rainbow, but it's more that we are holistic beings and we have the capacity to inhabit these different like modes of operating. And for me, all of us can access that at different times in our life. Some of us might lean more heavily on one than the other. And I think that what I've, all I've done is just gone, yeah, I'm gonna do that. I've just made it a conscious choice. And in particular, that I don't feel ashamed of that, that actually I see my ability to, for example, understand marketing only helps me spread the message of becoming an artist and being confident in art just like my ability as a creative practitioner only enhances the ideas that I have to create financial security for myself or donate to charity for other people um yeah does that answer the question that's no it certainly does it's it's, I think it does it's 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 an expansive answer to a big an expansive question really we have to finish sadly but but just to say you mentioned charities there and the root and branches it, it it has a connection to two local charities or yes. the national and a local charity just explain how that works yes yeah, so um five percent of the post-tax income from root and branch from all of the root and branch kind of um aspects and so whether that's a live lesson or the full course are split between two charities. So the first one is the Woodland Trust, which is a national organisation which works to preserve and um, essentially restore ancient woodlands. And the second one is Friends of Glendale Valley Woods, which is the local woods where I live in Chapel Allerton. And it's actually the woods that inspired the course um, where I would walk every day during lockdown and kind of realise that I was learning a lot by this process of interacting with the trees. Um, And as a business owner, I donate 5% of my um, post-tax income to charity anyway. So I've donated to Black Lives Matter, some farming projects, um, the Black University Fund, what else, a couple of other ones. And I really think that most organizations can do that, but they choose not to. Um, But yeah, Root and Branch specifically donates to the Woodland Trust and Friends of Gladhall Valley Woods. Well, thanks, Eleanor. Thanks for talking to us. And do check out Root and Branch and Eleanor's uh, website. Yes. Thanks for having me. (laughs) Love the commas. Love the apostrophes. Love the colons and the question marks. Love the words. From East Leeds FM. No, no, little. No, no, l'età per amarti, no, no, l'età per uscire. So thank you very much to Eleanor Snare here on Love the Words. And now, Jimmy Andrex takes on a thorny subject, English nationalism and the left. What does it mean to be English? Jimmy Andrex. England's glory. Who are you? What do you think you are? What do you think when you're asked to tick the ethnicity box on application forms? For many people, they know exactly what to say. A Scot knows they're not English or Welsh. In Northern Ireland, expressing identity may not be entirely without risk. A Mirpuri Pakistani born in Bradford may feel there are many things or none of them entirely, but know for definite that a Man United supporter. But if you're white and born in England, what do you think you are? It can be really confusing. Sport often lends a hand for those looking to forge an identity. Barcelona FC is, for their supporters, basically the Catalan national side. 
It's no accident that the city's other club is called Espanyol. For English football fans, it's simple. We lose on penalties. Oh, we did until Gareth Southgate came along and spoiled it. But then the Olympics comes round and suddenly we includes what, at other times, is the opposition. And then there's flags. England fans wave union flags at England games and few know when it's right way up or can explain why the Welsh cross in it doesn't appear anywhere else at all, especially Wales. In short, the British identity is a product of a complicated history that its most vehement defenders invariably can't tell you much about. No wonder they get all angry on Twitter. However, this programme isn't designed to make anyone angry. It's an attempt at trying to define and express Englishness. Let's start with the words of Ian Jury, sung by Max Wall. And then Lee Dean, in his life, he killed my heart in Malcolm Sargent. Churchill, Robin Hood, Dietrich, Potter, Baker, Town, Beatrice, Bowder, Yorkshire, Hood. With Billy Butler, Jane Austen, Ray Ellington, George Formby, Billy Fury, Little Titch, Uncle Mac, Mr. Pastry and all. Uncle Mac, Mr. Pastry and all. Lost gem from 1976 instantly conjures up an England people of a certain age would recognise. It could only be English and, what's more, it's affectionate and joyful, defined by what it is rather than what it isn't. This subject fascinates me. Over time, it's become more and more clear that I'm English. 
and Northern and Christian and left wing and a Wakefield Trinity supporter and a husband and a dad and a cricketer and a cyclist and a linguist and a poet and all sorts of other things. The song Jerusalem makes me well up. God Save the Queen makes me feel awkward. Some of the things I do, some of my own choice. Some, like where I was born, I have no choice about whatsoever. It's my contention that many English people don't really know what they are and that confusion creates a void into which all sorts of half-baked notions can trespass. These culture wars, often used by government and newspapers to rile dimwits into the argument of their choosing, are invariably negative. A debate is fabricated about something they want to take away. It's never made clear who they are, and it's particularly weird when people in power try and claim that those not in power are somehow secretly controlling things. Still, it did mean that recently, when the Daily Mail tried to signal the apocalypse by claiming that the BBC wanted to do away with Rule Britannia at the proms, because there'd be no one there to sing it, lest we forget, that we were treated to the illuminating sight of Nazi football hooligans trying to sing Rule Britannia when they didn't know the words. Let's face it, even the crowd at the last night of the proms only joined in on the chorus. A parade of commentators howled that they wanted to take something away which those same commentators didn't know the lyrics to either. So how's this for an idea? Instead of having conversations about our national culture in a negative sense, let's turn that thing around. Step 1. Make a list of everything you can think of which, for you, is quintessentially English. Be careful, nothing Scottish, Welsh or Irish, but, at the same time, there are a few things more English now than our national dish, chicken tikka masala. Most of all, think about it. St George wasn't English, and Richard the Lionheart only spoke French and only ever spent six months of his life in England, so be prepared to defend your choices and please, please, do your research. Anyone finding themselves saying, everyone knows, will be forced to eat tripe. You'll find that after a while you'll realise that what you think of as English reflects you as a person. There's nothing wrong with this. After all, when you're asked to tick the ethnicity box on the application forms, it's entirely up to you what you put. It's your identity. This brings us on to step two. It's the little things that make all the difference. Dandelion and burdock is drunk nowhere else in the world, but there are few things in life finer than having it with fish and chips open in the back of your car on the way back from the seaside. Step three. More advanced listeners might even try and turn it into a song or a poem. Jeremy Corbyn made it into mine not because I'm a fan, which I wasn't, but because his name had the right syllable count. True, he also embodies a certain contrary, slightly impractical moral stance, which is very English for me. Mind you, his brother's batsaw. Challenge yourself to get the same rhyme scheme as Jury's original and you'll be forced to consider all sorts of people and things which weren't obvious to begin with, but once you've been forced by formal considerations to try that bit harder, you'll come up with crown green bowls because you want to find a rhyme for bacon rolls. And, in the process, you'll learn something about England and your own identity. Anyway, talk is cheap. Here's my version. There are jewels in the crown of England's glory And every jewel shines a thousand ways Algorithms of masochism and Brompton bikes Tyson Fury, trial by jury, private eye Christening booze up sunburnt arms, Teletubbies and dairy farms Croydon facelifts, Waterloo sunset, Alan Turing, majorettes Morris dancers, boiled ham, just a minute and Peter Pan All the jewels in the crown of England's glory Too numerous to mention but a few And everyone could tell a different story 
show old England's glory something new. Jeremy Corbyn, double glazing, bargain hunt. Heritage Railways, damp bank holidays, toffs in punts. Tolkien rolling, bacon rolls, match of the day and crown green bowls. David Ambrose, Mary Stopes, LBW, Antiques Roadshow, Wallace and Gromit and Custard Greens with Rugby League and Pie and Peas. With Lenny Henry, Arthur Daly, Michael Rosen, Bernie Clifton, Ian Islop, Janie Austin, Esther Ranson, Frank Bruno and all. Esther Ranson, Frank Bruno and all. All the jewels in the crown of England's glory. Too numerous to mention but a few. And everyone could tell a different story. Show old England's glory something new. Bodiceer and Carry On Cleo and Bradley Walsh. Ian Fleming, Derek Griffiths, Inspector Morse. Emily Maitlis, Mothers in Law. Valerie Singleton, World at War. Emmeline Pankers, Virginia Wolf. Stretching Parkers, Beowulf. Rosalind Franklin, Berners Lee. White Van Man and Grayson Perry. England's glory. Love the haiku, love the sonnet, love the quatrain and the couplet, love the words, from East Leeds FM. So you're listening to Love the Words here on East Leeds FM. Thank you to Jimmy Andrex for that musing. Now, an interview with Christina Longdon, who is artist in residence, writer in residence with Kirklees Libraries, a brand new post. What is Christina doing in the job and what she aimed to do in these restricted times? I'm sure she has some ideas, Christina Longdon. So good evening. You're listening to Love the Words on East Leeds FM. And uh, we're going to be talking to the brand new Kirklees Libraries writer in residence. It's great to that, to hear that such a post is existing now and probably is even more important now. So, Christina Longdon, are you there? I am. Hello. Hello. And uh, yeah, it'd be great to hear, Chris, what this job is about and what it entails. Well, it's the first year-long residency for Kirklees and I'm just over the moon to be asked to do it. So originally I was going to be spending a year in libraries, talking to people, running writing sessions with the overall ambition really to get people writing. People who are already writing, there are various writing groups out there, so hooking them up with one another, but in particular targeting people who may have always wanted to write but hadn't had the confidence or the support in their lives to be able to do that. Now obviously with Covid and all of the restrictions and the lockdowns and the libraries being closed we've had to operate in quite a different way and it's been quite, it's only been going for a month or so and it's just been a real experience. Yes so I mean obviously um, libraries, places where you read as well, is it about reading as well as writing? I think we see reading as the door into the writing um, and in a way some of the sessions that I've been doing you can't really separate the two. Um, in particular the children and the young people's side of the library services is about getting kids reading and obviously what I'm enjoying doing is encouraging parents and relatives of encouraging kids to read to promote literacy um, with that being the door into the writing muscle really. Absolutely. 
So, yeah, you you say that um, obviously, yeah, in, in normal times, you would have been in the library or going around to maybe to schools and other places. Um, do you have a do you have a, a kind of an age remit or is it everybody? Absolutely everybody. I mean, it's been brilliant. We've just done a session on reluctant readers, which has had the largest number of views ever. Um, so that was pitched at parents of kids stage four to 18. Um, and we've had a lot of adults asking us to do a future session for building up the confidence of adults as readers. And obviously my remit is to help with the writing side of things as well. So yeah, it's from age zero to 120. But it's, it's online, yeah? Yeah, everything's online. I mean, Kirklees is brilliant. They use the live stream approach, so they go through all the different um, social media apps and everything's recorded and you can see it on Kirklees Library's YouTube. To be a slight devil's advocate, I mean, obviously a lot of older people aren't on the internet. So how are you contacting people who aren't online? I know, that's the really difficult one at the moment. Um, we're all... Everybody keeps saying, when can you come into a library? And we, we're kind of, I think we're just kind of obviously looking to government guidance when it'll be safe. And I'm just desperate to get back into the libraries, not just for myself, but just to meet the people that absolutely rely on the libraries. And as you quite rightly say, so many people out there, the most vulnerable people who rely on the libraries and who rely on that interaction, often can't access the internet or they want to come into the libraries to use the internet so it's very difficult to reach people at the moment i have to say but um and also yeah i mean i'm, I'm really interested i mean we're, we're here at chapel fm obviously we work with all kinds of people but mm. it's a question we're in the same position of having to to work online with lots of yeah. groups we work with uh so we're in a similar position how did i mean i'm fascinated with the for instance the reluctant readers how did you know who to contact how did you target that how did you advertise that well i've been doing work with kirkley's libraries for a few years now running reluctant reader workshops and that was very much a result of my own experience with my daughter who who has dyslexia and how she became a fantastic reader and i wanted to share that with other parents so we kind of knew what worked and we knew what groups of people to go to and how to spread the word and the obvious one is facebook and schools um the schools um that work with cookies in particular they've already got that link and i think that's how it, it built up but of course the beauty of what we're doing now is we're going far and beyond cookies the viewers are coming from across the country hmm. which is nice because they get to find about west yorkshire Absolutely. Yeah. So what, how would you go about a session working with reluctant readers? How many would you have in a group, for instance? Online, it's as many as you want. So we work it through Facebook, through Instagram, through YouTube. So all the questions are coming in live as we're doing the talks, but also they can be sent in beforehand so people can go back and watch the video after to see if the questions are answered and that's good in a way because in a session as i'm sure you'll know even on a zoom session you often get some personalities dominating a session and others feeling a bit shy and not you know being able to interact whereas this way in a way does feel a little bit more democratic i suppose and how would you run a, a reluctant readers session and what would a session entail well normally i guess what i do is kind of talk a little bit about my experiences of, of being very, very shocked about having a child who loved stories but hated reading and how I was determined to get her reading and what we used. Um, so I give lots of examples of techniques. And then the great thing about working with the libraries is obviously they've got access to so many resources. Um, so we bring parents to, to talk about their examples um, and often the stresses and the anxieties that a lot of them encounter with schools um, and the fears for the future. And at the end of the session, when uh, people are feeling a little bit more positive, we try and help them put together a bit of a plan, working with the family to enjoy reading at home. And obviously, you know, it isn't always about books. It's just about stories and information, audio books, graphic novels, plays all the stuff that writers like me love to write and people like to enjoy listening to and watching and so your for instance reluctance readers reluctant readers group would be for parents and 
children, young people with them, or is it just for the parents? Well, we've had kids along at the session, and I actually ran one of the sessions with my daughter. Um, She's just turned 16 now. Um, So it is, you know, kind of for all age groups, and and children often are the ones that will be really honest and, and, and tell us stuff like, the teacher makes me read out in class and I don't like doing it, and that's why I don't like reading. And, you know, a lot of the people who in particular want to help are the grandparents who notice things are perhaps a little bit more than parents who are very busy and who are that bit more detached from the immediate anxiety of the situation. So we've had aunties come along and uncles, dads, mums, grandparents, teachers on their days off, which is even better. So it's a great community feel in a way. Great. And um, so... Over the next week or two, can you give us a sense of what activities you're running? Yes, we've got on the 1st of October our next session. That's this Thursday and that's going to be a writer in residence session. So for this one, it's going to be looking at the existing writers who might have just written fiction or non-fiction and for new writers who I've no idea where to start. We're going to be looking at fiction versus non-fiction writing and also producing material that is fiction but based on non-fiction facts, historical fiction. So that's um, primarily for writers. That's this Thursday. We've got another Reluctant Reader session coming up and there's a session on my own book which is um, a rather amazing historical fiction and a an accompanying non-fiction piece of work on my great-great-great-granddad who was one of the first Muslim converts in the UK. So there's lots happening before Christmas and we'll have a little Christmas session as well. Great stuff. And if and you've already said that if people aren't in Kirklees, that's still OK to join? Absolutely. You don't need passports. Anybody can come. So how do they get in contact with you? If you go to kirkleyslibraries.co.uk, you'll see a section called Writer in Residence and you can look at all our sessions on there. But beyond the writing stuff, if it's just the reading side of things that you want, there are plenty of other videos on YouTube to watch. And there's some really good ones of authors, local authors and authors from across the country, particularly aimed at children as well. But there's something for everybody. Finally, Chris, tell us a bit about your own writing. You started to talk about there about uh, one of your your own pieces of work. What are you are you finding time to to carry on your own writing, and what are you writing at the moment? <laughs> I'm trying to. Um, yeah, I just finished a big book tour, and then lockdown happened, um, so I've had to postpone quite a few dates with that one. What I'm doing at the moment is an arts council funded project, and I'm really really lucky to be working with. Deb McAndrew, who is one of the best playwrights in Britain, to try and bring my book alive. Um, It's a really amazing, unusual story. So this is where I feel, you know, I get the whole fraudulent thing going with the writing residence because I'm learning so much. And I think that's what we all need to remember is, you know, there's not a day goes by where we can learn from somebody else. Absolutely. And so do plug... uh... The, the book that you're talking about, the one that Deborah McAndrew is working with you on. The one about your great-grandfather? Yeah, there's two. There's His Own Man, which is the big historical non-fiction version of it, and the accompanying version is Imagining Robert, where I use the the facts of his history, Victorian, radical, um, chartism, bread riots. It's a very amazing story, and I, and I turn it into um, a play. Sounds wonderful. Great. Well, thank you. Thanks ever so much for talking to us, Chris. Thank you. Good luck with the residency. Thank you so much. It's been lovely to talk to you. Finally, on Love the Words, I've been doing a series of song portraits over the last six months or so with older people. I'm going to play one of the last song portraits in the series. And thank you to everybody who's been involved in this series. work I've really really enjoyed doing it I promised them I would play their songs on the radio Uh, the participants I worked with and here is one the Jamaican spice bun a tradition lunch that we have at Easter with cheese 
you, you once you have your um, ingredients and you have your I tell you my paper is with me when I'm doing it so I mark it <laughs> what I put in and Google like it say eight ounces that is one cup before the lockdown I didn't know much about it before the corona I was a lunatic to the internet did some basic training at work it wasn't something I needed to pursue but COVID-19 COVID-19 gave me a broader view Sister in Christ showed me how to download the app to my phone. Suddenly I could connect and join my brethren in prayer in my own room, Zoom. Then there's a telescreen at home for Sunday morning worship on YouTube. Each one, each one, each one. Each one, each one, each one, each one. Each one, each one. Each one, each one. The phone gets so hot with all the zooming. Sometimes it burns my ears. But you have to engage. You have to engage. Something wrong, people's lips moving, no sound coming out. Press auto call, she said. Problem solved. Never stop learning. Nothing you can do if you set your mind to it. We learn from each other, they learn me. I learn her, we learn together. Two ounces margarine, one bottle stout, which is Guinness stout, half a cup of wine wine, one teaspoon vanilla, quarter tablespoon browning, one tablespoon guava jam, one egg well beaten, this is optional, I like to do things with my hands Don't like to sit around, that's not me Want to know how to bake Jamaican spice buns Google the recipe Be patient, ask someone to help you See the task through positively better at writing songs than um than doing the baking than doing the baking but i but but i will have a go at doing that one day 
and I'll bring them to you. How about that? Bye-bye <laughs> 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 for now. Bye-bye.